Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. This week's podcast is sponsored by Hiker Hunger Outfitters. Hiker Hunger Outfitters is a company founded by hikers who take pride in creating outdoor gear made for movement. With over 80,000 happy customers, their products are designed with you in mind and they truly care about your experience with their company. Whether you're a hiker, camper, walker, explorer, or weekend adventurer, their products are made for all types of people that care about getting fresh air and staying active. Their most popular products are the two models of trekking poles, carbon fiber for those looking for a lightweight option and aluminum for tougher terrain. Check out either of these models if you've been in the market for walking sticks. Just read the reviews to get an idea of the benefit they provide and how they've impacted the customers in a positive way. Hiker Hunger Outfitters is all about community and offering high quality products that are accessible and useful to anyone looking to continue exploring, no matter what age or how active you are. Visit hikerhungeroutfitters.com to see all of their products or call 877-700-7227 to speak with Cindy, their go-to customer service rock star. You could even text Emily, who happens to be one of the co-founders, at 413-627-1004. She's one of the friendliest people you'll talk to and she loves meeting new people. As an added bonus, Hiker Hunger Outfitters is offering a discount for first-time buyers. At checkout, just type in the code NEWGEAR15 and you'll get 15% off your purchase. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the CEO of Solo Stove, John Maris. John, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, for the listener that may not be familiar with Solo Stove, how would you best describe uh, your brand to them? Yeah, our brand is a lifestyle. It's really a lifestyle company that's focused on manufacturing and designing great and kind of high-end outdoor products that just make life a little bit easier uh, for whatever it is that you are trying to make easier. So in the case of our fire pits, it's you know making it easier to extend your backyard living space or having a portable fire pit you can take to a campground. And if it's, you know, our stove line, which is, you know, geared more towards ultralight backpackers and campers, uh, it's, it's a, a stove that doesn't require the burden of kind of packing fuel, uses kind of your, your natural fuels, so your leaves, twigs, sticks, and stuff that you can find outdoors. So just anything uh, in the outdoors where people are just trying to, to make fire, spend time, you know, sitting around the fire or cooking, uh, that's, that's really what we're focused on. That's really interesting. So you got involved with Solo Stove about two years ago. The business was started in 2010. Could you walk us through sort of the origin story of Solo Stove and how you got involved? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great, great question and, and, and an even better story. The, the company was founded by two brothers, Spencer and Jeff. Um, great guys, uh, good, good friends of mine. They are just 18 months apart. So they grew up, uh, they actually were, were born in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but raised outside of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. And uh, they just from a, a young age, when their family vacationed, they basically spent all of their time outdoors, camping, fishing, hiking. And uh, so they, they grew to love the outdoors kind of in their youth. And because they were just 18 months apart, they were super close. <clears throat> So you fast forward to their young adult um, 
years in their early 20s, and they found themselves on opposite ends of the world. So Spencer, uh, they both they both completed their their collegiate work, their undergrad work, uh, and degrees here in the U.S. And then Spencer actually took a job in Shanghai, and so he moved over to China. And Jeff was here in the U.S. in the in the North Texas area, and they had both gotten married and were starting their young families, and they were on opposite ends of the world, and that was kind of a bummer for them. They they grew up spending a lot of time outdoors together. Here they're they're they were starting to have their kids. Their kids didn't know each other, and they just they wanted to do something that they could do together and could get their families closer so that they could spend more time together. And that was ultimately how Solo Stove, the idea of even the business of Solo Stove came about. And so they endeavored down the path of thinking about what types of businesses could we start and what are we passionate about? And they read a few books at the time when they were thinking about starting the business. And one of the books was talking about how important it is when you're starting a company that whatever it is that you're starting, that it's something you're passionate about. And so as they were sitting around and chatting about what they could do, they kept navigating towards the outdoors because it's what they were passionate about. And ultimately, eventually, it was actually like a, an 18-month kind of process. So even though the company was founded in 2010, this process really started in 2008 for them. Uh, but two years later, they finally kind of landed on, we're going we're gonna to create stoves and, 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 and enhance or improve the experience that people have when they're cooking outdoors. And that was really their first endeavor at the time, there was no intention of a fire pit. There was no intention of all these extra accessories. They just um, very simply put wanted to in, improve the the outdoor cooking environment and space. And so they they created the first solo stove. That's so interesting. And so fast forward to 2018, you're now in getting involved. How how did this come to be? Yeah. So um, kind of another fun story. I. My background's um, pretty industry agnostic. I've done everything from, um, you know, home security to digital advertising, programmatic um, advertising. I've done business to business, um, back painted glass boards, and and now solo stove. So my my experience is kind of all over the map, but all around um, helping companies to scale and and maximize their growth and potential. And so. Back in, in uh, 2018, I met Spencer and Jeff through a mutual acquaintance <clears throat> who introduced us and basically just said to Spencer and Jeff, like, Solo Stove is a great company and you guys are doing amazing things, but you started this from the beginning with the intent to spend a lot of time together. And Solo Stove was starting to grow. They really didn't want to hire people. And so it was still a very, very small team even two years ago. Um, there were just about five employees. It was the founders, the founders and five people. And so they were working a lot and were looking to bring somebody on that they could trust with their baby, uh, for if, if I could word it that way. And so somebody that w was able to come in and, and build out the disciplines a little bit better, hire the right people and build a team that could really help support our customers. We're really passionate about delivering a great experience to customers, not just through the product, but also through any interaction with our company, whether it's on our website, whether it's with customer service, or even just the process of unpackaging the product. And so our goal was to bring in a team that would deliver an exceptional experience to the customer and, and allow the founders to start slowly stepping back from the day-to-day -day of the business, 
so that they could spend more time fishing together. So uh, I joined just nine days after I met the founders for the first time. It was a really fast transition. Um, but it was just, I just knew right away when I met them, I fell in love with the, with, with the two of them. And then very quickly thereafter fell in love with the business and the rest is history. That's really interesting. Um, and, and it speaks to a, a, a kind of a cool sort of journey of a business, right? Where you have founders sort of get it to a point where they can sort of hand over the reins to a team of people that sort of help them better grow the company, right? Because you mentioned the fact that the company a couple of years ago only had five employees and now you are up to 45 employees. I'm sure the amount in which you guys are able to achieve just between the two years is probably crazy, the difference. Yeah, it's it's cool if you were to ever talk to Spencer Jeff, and they you probably won't ever because they they are the type of guys that completely fly under the radar. But um, you know they're they're just really humble guys, and they never felt like they were the best at most things, and they recognize the power of bringing in people that are better than you to to execute. And I'm the same way from just a, an overall leadership philosophy. Uh, I, I think that the, one of the key um, skills that a great leader needs to have is to bring in, being willing to bring in people that are better than than the leader at certain disciplines. And that's exactly what, what our journey has been the last two years, has been finding where are the gaps in the business, where we could use somebody better than than all of the accumulated talent that we have at that moment. And then go and find that person that meets that that meets that criteria. And we've been able to do that over and over and over again. Today, you know, I can easily say that we have the strongest team that we've ever had, and that we're able to execute on things better than we ever have. And that's it's a really cool experience because again, we have this mission as a business that we want more and more people spending time outside together making memories. That's what what our core mission is really all about. And we recognize that if we can scale well and continue to build good brand equity and, and earn the trust of, of our customers and have them referring us to their friends and also coming back to repeat uh, purchase with us that in the end, what we, re- what we gain from that is a group of more and more people that are spending time outside, making memories, reconnecting, which is really what we wanted to, to do from the very beginning. That's so interesting. Now, over time, obviously, things have really um, expanded, and I feel like Solo Stove kind of used Kickstarter as a platform to really validate um, new products. And your most recent Kickstarter, I believe, was run in 2018, and you raised over $1.7 million, um, which is a massive number um, in any sense. And I think in Kickstarter, it's definitely one of the most funded campaigns. what would you attribute sort of the ability Solo Stove has to raise such a, a large amount of money on, on Kickstarter? First off, I, I love what you said, that it seems like Solo Stove has used Kickstarter to kind of vet new ideas. And, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and kind of any of these kind of crowdfunding platforms people have different reasons, you know, different, different companies have different reasons for utilizing those platforms. Um, some is to fundraise others is to vet out new ideas. Um, and we definitely, you were spot on. We are definitely more on the the side of wanting to just kind of 
bet the market. We also recognize that those crowdfunding platforms tend to have just a different audience of early adopters that just kind of like being on the front end of, of, of new ideas, but also they, that audience just tends to be excited about helping a new company or a young company or a small company get, get going. And we, we kind of enjoy that. We like the idea of partnering with early adopters that want to be in it with us. And so we have, we've utilized Kickstarter uh, on, on three or four occasions, um, all whenever we've launched in, in every instance that we've launched kind of a marquee product. And, um, for us, it was, it was always about kind of just testing the waters a little bit, dipping our toe in the water, seeing how people reacted. And we were super fortunate that we had great supporters, great backers that were willing to, you know, in some instances, jump in all the way rather than even dip their toe in the water um, and kind of go all out with us and, and help us prove out our concepts and our ideas and gave us the confidence um, to go out and really mass produce and mass market our products on a much higher level than, than what we would have probably done without Kickstarter. Now, does Solo Stove sell mostly direct-to-consumer or do you also do a lot of retail? Yeah, it's a great question. We're primarily direct-to-consumer. Uh, the, the, our business was built around the idea that e-commerce was a platform or a channel that wasn't going away. And it's what the founders were most passionate about. Jeff and Spencer loved the idea of e-commerce. And they built the entire business model around products that would be able to be easily marketed and easily shipped uh, via e-com to our customers. And so that's, that was a big criteria for us from the get-go. That's interesting. Now, making or um, building a business that, that manufactures and, and makes products, especially in the outdoor space, how do you sort of keep sustainability front and center um, as the business grows? That's another great question. One of the, the cool things about Solo Stove is that, you know, our, our products use, use fossil fuels, right? You just, you're, you're using, you know, fuels that you can, you can find out in nature, your sticks and your twigs and your leaves, uh, all of these natural fuel sources. So there's just already a sustainable um, kind of conversation around, around the product mix that way. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, that, that's kind of on, on the environmental sustainability side. I think even just from a sustainability on the business itself is, is, you know, another great kind of topic or conversation point to bring up. And we're really focused on product development. We, we feel the burden of continuing to provide easy to use high design products that work really well. And make sure that we're getting those out into the market uh, as, as, as much as we can so that, you know, our existing customer base knows that we're still fighting uh, to deliver great products to them in the long term. Now, over the years, what would you say uh, like has been one of the biggest mistakes that you guys have made with Solo Stove? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, but the biggest mistake, I, I think that one of the most challenging issues that we face still today and that we faced for uh, for sure as long as I've been involved with the business is is knowing uh, how much inventory to order um, forecasting is just challenging and there's seasonality that plays into it there's also just normal growth trends and um, 
Yeah, I, I think just you never want to stock out a product, but you also don't want to hold product um, for too long. And trying to balance that out is is always a big challenge. I remember uh, one one near miss that we we had, uh, but ended up working out okay. Was you know especially our big big holiday season. You know, is Black Friday, Cyber Monday, being an ecom direct to consumer brand. And I remember our our number one skew. Uh, not last year, but the year before, um, you know, the one thing you just don't do like, you know, Ecom 101 is you don't stock out during your your number, your top sales day of the year. And uh, you've got those two back to back, you got Black Friday and then Cyber Monday just comes a few days later and they're both equally big for us. And uh, we got down to 10 units of our top SKU. Um, and it was just a super crazy scary uh time we ended up receiving a shipment in um when, you know the day that we got down to 10 with a, a couple thousand more units and we were back in stock but it was uh it was a scary time and i think that that's that that's one i if i had to, to put a second one on there i i think that a big mistake that we made was not not hiring great people early enough i think that J- jeff and spencer could have scaled this business and, and built this business earlier than when I joined, but, um, you know, they didn't want the, the headache that comes with, with hiring people and managing people and dealing with the human nature that people are. And so, you know, the, the company has had, you know, a slower path than it, than it could have, uh, because of that. But, uh, a really, you know, strong, relentless focus on people over the last couple of years. And I think, I think we've gained a ton of ground. So I want to talk about the uh, the inventory sort of cycle. Um, it's an interesting problem, right? Because the fact that you, you got down to 10 units is A, a really good thing because you sold a, a ton of stoves, right? right. But right. at the yep. other end, you're like, well, now I've got nothing to sell and we still haven't hit the second half or what, wherever you were sort of in that um, cycle. How do you, I guess I've got two questions. One is, do you currently have sort of a formula in which you uh, calculate how much to um, order and B, is there a specific amount of time, right? So like you, ha- you, you get in a new shipment of stoves, what, how long do you want to have that um, product on hands before it goes out the door? Yeah, that's a good question. Both of those are great questions. So we do, we use a lot of data now. Uh, we didn't use to, uh, to make our inventory buying decisions. Um, we would basically just set a forecast and, and then order based on the forecast. Now we have really good historical data that allows us to look back at trends month over month and year over year. And it becomes actually quite predictable. So as an example, we now know what may generally looks like compared to the previous December the previous year's December. So this last month that just ended in, in May, we were able to predict within a 4% variance, our top three SKUs, just based off of what we did in December. And that's, that's pretty remarkable um, to, to be that close, at least for us, it was, it was a big feat. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage listeners that are thinking about, you know, forecasting and inventory and, and that kind of, kind of thing, just to, to be willing to, to trust data. Um, very rarely does, does the data lie. 
And, you know, there are, there are some exceptions to where there are anomalies in data, but utilizing data as kind of a first point uh, of, of kind of gut checking what you're doing is definitely a great way to start. And then you can always make adjustments after, after you come up with, with what you're doing. With regards to, is there an ideal time that we have inventory kind of on the shelves? Every business is probably a little bit different. Um, our stoves are stainless steel. They have, you know, an unlimited shelf life. There's no spoilage, things like that. Um, but that was also part of our criteria, right? Um, in terms of, of products that we were excited to, to, to market from this, it goes back to the, the brothers found in the company. But for us, we, we tend to target about 90 days. So we're bringing in enough inventory. The inventory we received today is inventory that we want off of our shelves within, within three months. That's interesting. And now, I guess a follow-up question to that. Uh, take a certain um, situation. It's, it's June 2nd right now that we're recording this episode. Uh, a, an event like COVID-19 happens. How has that sort of affected um, Solo Stove? And more specifically with inventory, how do you sort of manage um, that in a time like now? <clears throat> yeah. So first off, it's different for every business and, uh, and you have to recognize that. But for us, we've been on the, uh, the fortunate receiving end of, of people being stuck at home looking for things to do, especially outside in their backyards or, you know, on a limited basis, you know, on campgrounds. And so we've actually seen a bump in demand on our products since, since the shelter and home places kind of took, took effect. And that's been, you know, obviously a huge blessing for, for the business. We've been very grateful for that. But the downside has been that the inventory forecasting got super out of whack because we had very predictable numbers to work off of, you know, back in April, kind of the latter part of March and April. And because we were well ahead in terms of demand, uh, we started seeing inventory shortages that we would have never been able to predict before COVID-19. So uh, I, I think every business, uh, I, I think it's pretty safe to say every business, even those that have, have done okay or even potentially better during the, the pandemic crisis, uh, have, every business has had to adjust and pivot and figure things out. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, look at what happened with Amazon, you know, huge, huge, massive, um, labor shortage for them. You know, the, the health and wellness of their employees became a huge issue. Delivery times went out the window all of a sudden, you know, they're kind of, you know, um, you know, flawless, flawless prime model, you know, was totally disrupted. And so, uh, you saw that across the board and, you know, unfortunately some businesses, took it, you know, in the chin way harder than others. But, uh, that's, that's kind of what we've seen and, and how we've pivoted. Um, you know, ultimately what we've done is we've worked with, with our suppliers, you know, and just the, the biggest piece of advice that I have for, for anyone is communication, great communication. We immediately opened the lines of communication. We were very transparent with our suppliers about what we were seeing and what was going on. And we were able to get levels of confidence from them um, enough that that they were able to ramp up production and and get us to where we needed to be so we could take care of our customers. 
That's interesting. And, it, and it's, um, it took us a, a little while to figure this out, that sort of the outdoor. So for us, what we saw was that in end, at end of March and, May, and April, we saw a lot of our partners sort of like tightening their belts. And then towards the end of April and now May, uh, brands were like, oh, wow, everyone's getting outside and spending money yeah. trying to get outside <laughs> right. in any capacity yeah. way in which that they can, right? So a- any of our partners that have a very strong uh, uh, B2C sort of e-commerce sort of focused business are like, wow, we've never seen growth like this, <laughs> which is interesting. So I guess my question here is, how do you forecast for something like this going forward where um, everyone's talking about the fact that we're probably moving towards some kind of recession based off of what's been happening with COVID. How do you sort of take that piece of information, couple it with the fact that sales are up tremendously because people are trying to get outside because it's the one thing that they can kind of do during the sort of shelter in place um, sort of order. How do you balance that with ordering and growing the business? I think that if you look back at the Great Recession and kind of 07, 08, 09, 2010, and you look at what was happening in the outdoor industry, you'll see that it tends to be the case that when the wallets are tightening up a little bit, when people are un, you know, either unsure about the future or you know, the economy softens or a recession hits, that people tend to flock to the outdoors vacations, you know, bigger vacations slow down. People aren't hopping on airplanes and going to exotic places as often as they're used to. And they replace that with time outdoors because it's, it's a much lower cost way of still vacationing, relaxing, decompressing. And so, you know, I, I personally, I, I, I would agree that there's a high likelihood that there's some sort of re- recession kind of on the horizon. I think, you know, we had record, you know, a record 10 years. Everybody knew something was coming and this pandemic, you know, likely is, is going to be a, a trigger to, to lead us in that direction. But I think for those, especially in the outdoor industry, I think, I think this is a time where you need to, to kind of trust what you're seeing. And especially if you're an outdoor products company uh, that has an e-com presence, a strong e-com presence. I think that those two things are going to help protect uh, brands against a recession, uh, at least specifically in, in our space and industry, um, because of what we've seen, again, in, in history. What history tells us is when recessions hit, people flock to the outdoors. So uh, we're trying our best to to not be too rattled or emotional in our decision-making when it comes to inventory and forecasting. And, um, you know, we're, we're preparing for, for a really big second half of 2020. That's interesting. So let's, let's talk about the future. Where do you see solo stove going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? You know, we'd like to be a household name. Um, that's, we love the idea of, of helping people, um, get outdoors and spend time together with the ones that they love. And we think that it's a strong message that resonates with people and it's not something that's going to go away. We we're on a fun growth path right now as a company and, uh, we're still growing, um, leaps and bounds. And I, I hope that three to five years from now, um, 
you know, everyone knows who Solo Stove is. No, no different than, you know, people knowing, you know, who Yeti is. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago now that um, most people outside of Texas didn't know who Yeti was, um, especially if you weren't in the hunting, fishing kind of camping space. And, um, you know, now, you know, you can be in Hollywood or you can be in New York City and everybody knows the name Yeti. And uh, we certainly are, are hoping to have similar successes at Solo Stove. Well, that's really exciting, and I'm definitely um, intrigued to see what you guys do in the future. Just the growth is it's exciting that people are getting outside, and um, obviously you guys are very well positioned to, to help facilitate that. Now, for, for anyone who's listening to this episode, before June 30th, you can actually enter to win uh, a Ranger stove from Solo Stove. So just head over to Red Yeti for your chance to win, and um, with that... John, I want to thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on the podcast, share your story, the story of Solo Stove. And um, for anyone who's listening, wants to check out Solo Stove, definitely head over to um, to their site and, um, and and check them out. And again, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me again and, and uh, stay safe. We're, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.